0: As we begin, let's pray. Give me, O my Lord, that purity of conscience which alone can receive your inspirations. My ears are dull so that I cannot hear your voice. My eyes are dim so that I cannot see the signs of your presence. You alone can quicken my hearing and purge my sight and cleanse and renew my heart. Teach me to sit at your feet and to hear your word. Amen. and welcome to worship today. As we begin, we begin with the peace of Christ, with the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. Peace of Christ be with you. Please join me in your bulletin for our prayer of confession. As we come into God's presence, we take our place as men and women who are broken by sin in need of our Savior. Out of the depths we cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear our cry. If you should mark iniquities, who could stand? Our sins have crippled us, bound us, buried us. They cut us off from you, who is life itself. But there is forgiveness with you. With you is great power to redeem. Breathe into us your breath, O God. Breathe into us your spirit. Open our graves and call us to you, that we may live in full knowledge of your power and steadfast love. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us, Lamb of God. O Christ, have mercy upon us. Grant us your peace. Hear this good news. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. With these words we know, therefore, in Christ we stand forgiven. Thanks be to God. Hear what the prophet says. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And so let us live. we come to the reading of God's word, let us pray. Lift up your hearts, let us lift them to the Lord our God. God of call, God of transformation, God of the Lenten journey, help us to discern your still small voice. Open us to change and growth that we may walk with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: The first lesson is the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to John, 11, 1 to 45. This is about the death of Lazarus. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and of course Lazarus, After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he, being Jesus, stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and you are going there again? Again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of the world. But those who walk at night stumble. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has just fallen asleep, won't he just be all right? Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him thomas who was the twin said to his fellow disciples let us also go that we may die with him when lazarus arrived when jesus arrived he found that lazarus had already been dead and been in the tomb for 4 days Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away or so, and many of the Jews that had come to Martha and Mary to console them were also there. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up and quickly get out of there. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep some more. When Mary came there and saw Jesus, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews that had come with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see jesus began to weep. so the jews said see how he loved him but some of them said could he have not opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying then jesus again greatly disturbed came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone was lying against it jesus said take away the stone Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me here. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus had done, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Second lesson today is from the Psalter, from the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, which is probably the best known passage of scripture in all of the Bible, the shepherd's psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Daniel Gilbert, a psychology professor at Harvard University, drew from the Gallup Healthways Well-Being Index and stated that the index showed that Americans are smiling less and worrying more than they were a year ago, that happiness is down and sadness is up, that we are getting less sleep, smoking more cigarettes, drinking more alcohol, and that depression is on the rise. He went on to state that the real problem is not financial, not having enough money, but something else. It is uncertainty. People don't know what's going to happen next. Will I have a job next week? What's ahead in the future for me or for the economy? Professor Gilbert pointed to a Dutch experiment where some subjects were told they would be intensely shocked 20 times. The researchers told a second group that they would receive three strong shocks and 17 mild ones, but they wouldn't know when the intense shocks would come. The results. Subjects in the second group sweated more and experienced faster heart rates than the first group. Uncertainty caused their discomfort. They didn't know when those shocks would come next. Another study showed that colostomy patients who knew that their colostomies would be permanent were happier six months after their procedures than those who were told there might be a chance of reversing their colostomies. Once again, Uncertainty caused the unhappiness. Researchers have such an exciting life. (laughs) Daniel Gilbert summarized the research on an uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. Our national gloom is real enough, but it isn't a matter of insufficient funds anymore. It's a matter of insufficient certainty. In March 2009, Dutch artist Johan van der Dong decided that God needed a telephone line. So he got him one. He got God a cell phone number, to be exact, to show that God was available anytime and anywhere. In earlier times, you would go to a church to say a prayer, Dong was quoted in the papers, and now this is an opportunity to just make a phone call and say your prayer in a very postmodern way. And it seems that a lot of, like a lot of people appreciated the opportunity that Dong had afforded them with his divine hotline. Within one week after announcing it in the news, over a thousand people left God a message on the phone. Now, on one hand, that might be pretty thrilling to know that over a thousand people want to connect with God in, in uh, Holland. On the other hand, however, you have to wonder how people f- will feel once the connection is made. You see, when people call into the number that Dang, uh, publicized, this is what you hear on the other end of the line. This is the voice of God. I am not able to speak to you at the moment, but please leave a message. Now. That doesn't convey an idea of a God who is available anywhere and any time, does it? And to make matters worse, Dong plans on keeping the line open for only six months. When you think about it, this artist has really only managed to connect people to an altogether disconnected God. Psalm 23 is the remedy to our uncertainty. It defines the connection with God. It uses two metaphors. The first metaphor is that of a shepherd. In the beginning verses, we are told, we are not asked to believe, we are not theorized, we are told the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Hebrew of that second phrase, I shall not want, is probably better translated, I will not lack anything. I prefer the words, I shall not want. It's probably more modern. What do I want? What is it that I want out of life? What is it that I want in my life today? In the past year, I can think of many things that I wanted. I got some of them, and others I did not. Does that mean that God has not been my shepherd? The psalmist is very clear. The role or the metaphor of shepherd is not about physical want. It's not about our wish list on Amazon.com. It is about our life. It is about how and when and where we live. The psalmist goes on and says, we make, He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's no spiritual starvation here. But there is plenty of it in the world around us. He leads me beside still waters. There's no thirst in this spiritual life. Jesus said that the water would well up inside of us like a spring of eternal life. He restores my soul. The word for soul here is the whole being. It is the mind and the body and the spirit. It is the whole person. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Philip Keller in his book on the 23rd Psalm illuminates this verse very, very clearly in talking about the paths that are well-worn into the mountains of Jerusalem and the Middle East. They are not asphalt roads, but they are nevertheless well-worn paths along which the shepherds know that if they take their sheep, there is less danger Awaiting them. He leads me in these right paths for his namesake. His namesake speaking to the fact that he knows where we need to go. And how we need to get there. Even though, even though I walk through the darkest valley. I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It was Martin Luther King that I think summed up these verse, this verse most clearly when he said, Fear knocks at the door of our heart, and faith answers the knock. The answer to our fear is not what are we going to do. It was James who tells us that the antidote to fear is not aggression, it's not planning. It's not reason. The answer to fear is love. Seeking the well-being of another. Now the metaphor changes. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. All of these are speaking to the metaphor of the ancient Near Eastern host. When you come into my home, this is what happens. I prepare a table before you in the presence of whoever is there, and some of them may be people you don't like, but the table is yours to sit at. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Anointing with oil was a very, very normal, routine way of refreshing the feet and the body and the hands and the face of those who had walked in the winds and the heat and the sun of the wilderness. And then he ends the psalm with these very, very powerful words, so familiar to us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Now you know as well as I do, I believe, that at the death of any saint, this passage is almost an absolute requirement, this psalm is probably the most comforting, the most deeply moving, the most significantly meaningful passage of scripture that we can say to ourselves or to another in a moment of distress. Why? Why is that? I don't think it's because you learned it by rote memory in Sunday school. I learned it in King James English. That's why I have to read it from the bulletin. Because if I try to do it any other way, you're going to hear thy and thou. Thine and thou and thy. Because that's the way I learned it. But it is precious to me not because of that. I'd be curious. Why is the psalm precious to you? When you hear that psalm, what do you hear? Anyone? Everything's going to be all right. Very good. Everything's going to be all right. I have to admit to you, I've never told another living soul this until this moment. The 23rd Psalm is why I am a Calvinist. Because I tell you right now, I challenge you, if you will, to read this psalm And tell me what you have to do in this song. What do you have to do in this song? Mike? The only verb that has the I pronoun to it is, though I walk through the valley. What does that mean? I read lots of commentaries this week in preparing for this passage, because it's so familiar. You need new ideas. You need a new approach. So I thought to myself, wow, you know, let's, let's see what other people think about this. And then I began to realize that this passage of Scripture speaks to everybody. It doesn't just speak to the Christian that goes to church, or the Christian that hasn't gone to church for a long time. It speaks to the non believer It speaks to people who don't even know that they are sure that there is any certainty to the fact that there might be a God. It says what it is, and that is that God is in control. It does not say anything more than the fact that I walk through this life and God accompanies me along the way. All the verbs in this whole psalm are the verbs that God does. God makes me to lie down. God leads me beside the waters. God restores my soul. God leads me in right paths. These verses demonstrate that our redemption, our salvation, is all about God. You want to know what the gospel is? You want to know what the good news is? You want something to say when someone asks you what it's all about? It's all about God. It's all about the God who chooses to accompany us, whether we are conscious of it, whether we want it or not, even when we're not so sure. God accompanies us on the walk and leads us to a place of goodness and mercy. I was a missionary for 10 years, and every so many months or years, we were expected to come home on furlough. And I can remember many times coming home on furlough and ending up going back to Caracas, and I would get back to the house and see my family, and there were times when I literally would get down on my knees and kiss the floor. Because it was so good to be home. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are not home yet. But on this journey, while we walk, while we take the paths that God leads us on, there is never a moment that you are not accompanied by the living God. Whether you like it, whether you are conscious of it, whether you are thankful for it, whether you believe it or not. It is so. And someday, you will be home. You see, that's where the comfort lies for those who are bereaved. We will eventually get home that is where the comfort lies for us even as we live our lives. Today. Thomas Merton wrote this prayer in response to Psalm 23. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road. Though I may know nothing about it, Therefore, I will trust you, always. Though I may seem to be lost, and in the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. And all of God's people said, Amen. In response to the word, let us sing a song of the Tazay tradition, In the Lord I'll Be Ever Thankful. In the Lord I'll be ever thankful In the Lord I will rejoice Look to God, do not be afraid. Lift up your voices, the Lord is near. Lift up your voices, the Lord is near. Please stand with me now and let us use the words of the Heidelberg Catechism to confess our faith. Questions 43 and 56. Together let us say, I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, in his grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgment. Through Christ's death, our old cells are crucified, put to death, and buried with him so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may dedicate ourselves as an offering of gratitude to him. abundance of who God is and what God has given us we bring now our tithes and gifts and offerings for the work of God's kingdom Reformed Church Home come and speak to us very briefly about the ministry of the Reformed Church Home before we go to prayer as God's people.
2: Good morning. What an honor it is to be here this morning. Thank you, Pastor Doug, for giving me this opportunity to speak to you members regarding the Reformed Church Home. First, I'd like to express my sincere appreciation for your support to the home. Over the years, the Reformed Church's involvement with the home have been unconditional we have had past and present board of trustee members tremendous support during our annual golf outing countless visits from the women's clubs choirs handmade gifts for our residents church members who have volunteered since the beginning in Irvington this is truly a partnership made in heaven and I applaud you all for your devotion and dedication to the home I'd like to take a few minutes now to talk to you about my story and how I became involved with the home. It was about four years ago. My dad fell and broke his femur in Europe. He was 88 years old and in a foreign country. This was a major concern to myself and my family. After several weeks and successfully undergoing surgery, he was able to return home but needed extensive physical therapy. As you know, there are many options out there, Naturally, the idea of a nursing home is never in anyone's plans. We all like to think that our loved ones will be in good health until the Lord decides to take them home. Unfortunately, the need for a nursing home may arise due to a fall or the start of dementia. When the time comes to make a decision, most of us are not educated on what we need to do. I myself was one, but fortunately... My sister, who was in the elder care profession, found just the right place for our dad, the Reformed Church home. Now it came time for me to visit my dad. This was difficult. I was imagining all sorts of things. But I took a deep breath and entered the home. And a sigh of relief came over me. The home was beyond any imaginable words. As you enter, you are greeted with a warm, inviting welcome. You step foot on these magnificent floors that sparkle. The aroma of home cooking permeates the halls. This is just the beginning. My visits to see my dad would find him either socializing with other residents, reading in the gazebo, attending men's club activities, or a Bible study. Our experience with the nursing staff, the administration, housekeeping, and dietary was an absolute blessing at such a difficult time. After three months, my dad was ready to leave his temporary home and return to his normal lifestyle. But this left a positive experience and was an eye-opener and made a lasting impression on me. So several months after my dad left the home, I was reading the Sunday Classified News ads. It's just something I do on a Sunday morning. I don't know why. I've just done it for years. And there was an ad that caught my eye. The Reformed Church was advertising for the position of director of development, and I thought to myself that my belief and passion for the mission of the home would result in a positive experience. So I applied for the position, and I really didn't think much about it. After several weeks, I received a phone call to come in for an interview. Well, my heart throbbed and my passion exploded as I thought to myself, this is where you need to be. I was offered the position and gladly accepted, knowing that I can make a difference, not in the life of one person, but in the lives of many. I'll be celebrating my third anniversary in July at the home, and every day I walk in with a smile and I leave with a smile. In my professional career, I can say that this is the most rewarding position that I have had and the most satisfying. Now that I've shared with you my story, I'd like to share with you just a portion of a letter I received from a family member who a family member of one of our residents who just recently passed away. Every now and then, someone or something comes across our life's path and we are changed forever. It has taken us a long time to write this letter because we just didn't feel we had the adequate words to thank you and all you did for my aunt and for our family during the years she lived at the home. Ann Ann's home away from home was like a sheltering tree. For years beneath that tree, she received cool breezes, rest, nourishment, encouragement, security, love, companionship, hope, friendship, and much understanding, without condition or reservation. And as her closing days came near on earth, that sheltering tree extended its branches to include each one of us who loved her so very dearly. Thank God for all of you, who will ne- we will never forget your kindness toward us, your dedication to all of us. Those you serve is exceedingly rare. As you can see, two people from two different lives both had similar experiences at the Reformed Church home. The aging of America raises so many questions about what's in store for the future. This generation has lived through wars and hard times, pioneered new technology in medicine, communications and in industry. These remarkable achievements demonstrate the strength and character of our senior population. But the contributions of older Americans are not only in the past. The aging of the baby boomer generation, which is the largest in our nation, will reach 71 million by the year 2030. Because of the growth, Facilities such as the Reformed Church Home are in such great demand. The Reformed Church Home is committed to the compassionate care of our elders in a spiritual environment. And with your support, it has allowed us to continue our mission and fund special projects such as Comfort for Care, which is the replacement of our hand crank beds to electronic beds. The replacement of these beds allows our residents the ability to maintain their own comfort level, ensures their safety, improves their independence, and most of all, preserves their dignity. We are currently working on instituting a benevolent fund. These funds will provide a continuing of care for assisted living residents who have outlived their resources and need some financial assistance. You can see there are many wonderful things that are happening at the home. It's an incredible facility we have, so I invite you to my home, the Reformed Church Home. And be part of this very special place. You'll see firsthand what amazing facility the Reformed Church Home is. If you're interested in visiting or volunteering, joining our board, I'll be here for a fellowship. If you have any questions, I'll be happy to answer them. And I think I neglected to say we are located in Old Bridge. Thank you so much.
0: I asked Marie to uh, to share that testimony. Because I believe that it's an application of what we looked at in the scriptures today. God leads us on paths of rightness for each of us. Each of us has our path. That path led Marie to the Reformed Church home and to what she does there for the folks who live there. All of us have our paths. All of us have our callings. And I thought it would be a good way for us to be informed about the ministry of the church and at the same time see the scripture come alive in someone's life as a testimony.